Good morning, everybody. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors and part of our teaching team and delighted to be with you here this morning. I think it's really interesting the imagery that Seth just used as it relates to that parenting conference of being gardening and cultivating that idea, as he said, that we have responsibility, but ultimately we're not really in control of the outcome. And one of the things that I know uh, grieves me and I spend a lot of time thinking about as a pastor is why it is that so many kids who grow up around church and grow up in Christian homes and Christian families, or at least families that go to church, those aren't always the same thing. But why is it that so many of the kids that grow up in those environments leave the church as soon as they can? I know that's a very personal question for some of you because that's your story and you're praying and grieving for how your own kids have walked away or your grandkids. But I know for me as a leader, as a pastor, and as a dad, I'm thinking, okay, what, what is it that, that's the cause of that? And there's all sorts of things you could point to, I'm sure. And I don't know that it's always cause and effect, you know, one-to-one kind of a thing. There's stuff we could point to about uh, all sorts of stuff. But, but, but I wonder if it's, it's because maybe perhaps as adults, we've missed some of what the next generation is seeking as it relates to Christianity. And we're answering questions, perhaps, that they're not asking. And we're focusing on things that are good and right, but not relevant to them. I wonder if a lot of us as parents and grandparents have treated our kids as if they were on a truth quest to find out what's true, when the reality is they're not on a truth quest. They're on a happiness quest. They're on a beauty quest. They're on a quest for something that is compelling and alive and vibrant and beautiful. That's what they're on the quest for. They're not on a quest what's true. Now, occasionally a, a particular cerebral type kid might be into that. But for the most part, the next generation is not asking what's true. They're asking what's beautiful. And what we tend to do as an older generation is we tend to offer a lot of what's true and we focus on the head of all the things that we should believe and all the things we should affirm and all the things we ought to sign off on and we don't focus as much on living lives of obedience that aren't driven by what's true but they're driven by what's beautiful. And what Paul is doing in this letter is not just writing to the Ephesians to tell them of the true identity that they now have in Christ. He's not just writing them to tell them, here's all the stuff you ought to do because this is just right. What he's doing is he's saying, this is how you ought to live because it's beautiful. What is the way we're living telling the next generation? Is it telling them, well, you should obey because you should This isn't the fun way, this isn't a good way, but it's the right way. Is that what you're telling them? Or maybe you're telling them, it doesn't really matter how I live because all that matters is the stuff I say on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, hey, whatever, I live for me. Or are we maybe by our lives able to begin to show them a way of walking that's beautiful and compelling? and vibrant, and alive. Let me ask you, what is your walk talking? 
What is your walk talking? We, we speak a lot about how our, our walk should match our talk. Well, our, our walk is talking. What is your walk talking? That's what Paul's been addressing in this whole section we've been looking at in Ephesians. And I want to kind of summarize where we've been over the last six weeks and help us understand a bit of even where he's taking us in this letter uh, today as we look at this larger section in the first half of chapter 5. What is your walk talking? This idea of walking has been a big theme. If you actually flip back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, this is a place where the Apostle Paul talks about our walk. He says, I therefore... In light of all the truth that I've told you, in light of the reality that you are made new in Christ, in light of the reality that you're not a slave to sin anymore, but you're free, you're united to Christ, you're sealed by his spirit, you're now the temple where the spirit of God himself dwells. In light of that, therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And that theme of walk, of how you live, of how you conduct yourself, is what he's been doing all throughout chapter 4. And today, as I said, we're going to try to summarize it. And in this passage, Paul describes three ways to walk. And I think these three ways are such a beautiful summary of what he's been talking about, but they're also such a beautiful picture of a compelling life. The kind of life that if we as adults were to embrace these ways of walking, I think we would have far Fewer young people say, I don't know if I care about all that Christianity stuff. I think instead they might go, I got questions about it. I have doubts about certain things I read. I still am grieved when I see bad stuff happen in the world. But I can't deny that the Christian life that I've seen lived is a beautiful life. What if they could say that? So before we dive in, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a good father, that you cultivate us, that you grow us, that you surround us with people that show us what it is to follow you. And God, we all uh, come to you aware of our shortcomings, aware of our failures, aware of our sins. God, that's been highlighted and pushed on and driven home over these last six weeks. And so, God, would you inspire us today with a beautiful vision of the kind of lives you invite us to walk into. We thank you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I know that we kind of finished through verse uh, 6 last week, and some of you, when you said, oh, we're starting back at verse 1, what's going on there? Well, I don't want you to miss this walking theme that Paul is doing here in the first part of Ephesians 5. And so there's three ways to walk that the Apostle Paul is going to tell us about. And the first one is found in verse 2. It's to walk in love. Walk in love. Verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Get this. You are never more spiritually mature than your ability to love. It's not your knowledge, it's not your insights, it's not your experiences, it's your ability to love. That's what spiritual maturity is. 
Sometimes we think that just if we've been a Christian a long time, we're spiritually mature. Right? I, I've actually changed my language when we talk as, as pastors and elders. I, I don't talk about people being uh, mature Christians. I talk about them being experienced Christians. Because sometimes the most experienced Christians are still the most immature because even though they know a lot, they aren't very loving. Some of the most inexperienced Christians who know very little, who don't know Sikkim from Gideup as it relates to Christianity, they would fail all sorts of theology tests. They're actually in many ways displaying more maturity because they love. Love is a huge deal in the scriptures. Jesus said it's the greatest commandment. They came to him. Jesus, of all of these commands in the Old Testament, what's the greatest? You know what he said. The greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And the second is just like it, love your neighbor as yourself. When the Apostle Paul lists out the fruit of the Spirit, the kind of life that emerges when you are filled with the Spirit of God, what's the very first thing he says? The fruit of the Spirit is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is talking about the way of love, and he says that in the end, there's really only three things that matter, is faith and hope and love, but the greatest of these they told you at your wedding was love. The greatest thing is love. The first indication of the Spirit is love. The greatest commandment is love. And unfortunately, we've, we've kind of so allowed the idea of love as this kind of romantic, feelings-oriented thing that's out there in the world, that's kind of been hijacked. Because of that, when we hear a preacher like me talk about the importance of love, you kind of go, oh yeah, this is going to be fluffy. This is going to be real, you know, soft and feelings oriented. And, and, And if you do that, you're missing the Bible. You're actually even missing the gospel. Here's the definition that... We like to use for love around here. It comes from Paul Tripp. It's that love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand payback or that the person is deserving. Let me say that again. Love is the willing self-sacrifice. So you you choose to sacrifice yourself. Love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another. You're not doing it to make yourself look good. You're doing it to be a blessing to them. Love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand payback. Right? This is not kind of a mercenary approach to love. Well, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. Love is the willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not demand payback or that the person is deserving. Biblical, Christian, Christ-like love does not wait for the person to deserve its love, but rather loves the unlovely, loves the unlovable, and sacrifices in order to do that. You go, gosh, that's great by Paul Tripp, but where does that come from? Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. This is Paul's definition of love. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What did Christ do? He willingly self-sacrificed for our good when we couldn't pay him back and we didn't deserve it. So let me ask you, as you seek to grow in maturity, as you seek to live a life that is compelling and beautiful to the next generation, that isn't just about truths in your head, but actual ways that Jesus has gripped your heart and changed your life. Who is God calling you to love? 
And how is God calling you to love? Who is it that needs encouragement from you? And you're not a naturally very encouraging person, so it would be a self-sacrifice for you to think, what is it about them I appreciate and say it? Who needs time from you? And especially in an affluent society where money's kind of, yeah, it's sort of everywhere for a lot of people, the most valuable thing becomes what? Time. Who needs your time? Who's not been getting your time? But that's really what they want, what they need is time. Who, who needs forgiveness from you? Who is not deserving but still needs to be forgiven? Who is not even yet acknowledged that, you've, that they've hurt you? And yet before the Lord, you need to forgive them and continue to turn the other cheek and love sacrificially this person who might even be your enemy. Who needs help? Who needs you to just continue to be patient? Who and how is God calling you to love? If there was maybe one discipline, I don't know, this is a dangerous thing to say, because as soon as I say one discipline, I start thinking of all the other disciplines that would be great too. So let me just say it this way. One of the disciplines that would make a huge difference in all of our lives, that would make all of our lives irresistibly beautiful, is if every Sunday night or if every Monday morning you sat for five minutes and you prayerfully asked the question, who and how is God calling me to love this week? Who can I love? How can I love them? And you didn't have to think of a hundred people, and you didn't have to think of a hundred things, but you just thought of one person, one way to willingly sacrifice for their good, even if they aren't going to pay you back and don't deserve it. That would change your life, that would change your family, that would change our church, that would change this world. Who's God calling you to love? One expression of love. This is not the major one. This isn't the, the most obvious one, but it's one that I do want to invite some of you to begin to pray about, is to actually love the people who are coming to this church by moving to the five o'clock service. <laughs> you can see this week, it's absolutely packed. Uh, last week was absolutely packed. First time ever, we've had more than 1,600 people on a Sunday on a non-holiday. I mean, that's an amazing number of people in just three services. Yeah, that's cool. I wasn't going for that, but we can clap. That's great. But here's the thing. We actually had to turn people away at the morning services last week. So people who came in, couldn't find a place, you know, lingered around the lobby for a little bit, went home. And you might go, well, they should have stayed to another service. Okay. What about at 1045? They should just hang out all afternoon until 5? I don't know. And that's not your fault. I mean, praise God. God's doing something here. God's working. But here's what I know. Some of you who call this church home, who have heard us ask you to pray about this a number of times, you're going to hear it again because we're going to ask you to prayerfully consider willingly self-sacrificing for the good of other people who don't deserve it and can't pay you back. Think about it. There's one year to go, and we're moving there. All right? You can do it for a year. But that's one way to do it. How's God inviting you to love? Jesus 
who was irresistibly beautiful, especially to the people who you would not think he would be attractive to. Jesus walked in love, and so do we. We're his people, we're his followers, we walk in love, this is the beautiful life. Walk in love. Here's a second way that Paul tells us here to walk, is to walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Look at what he says, beginning in verse 7. He had told us previously that There's no inheritance for those who are indulging themselves in sexual greed and all sorts of lives built on idolatry, built on a life apart from God. He says in verse 7, therefore, do not become partners with them. Don't become partners. Don't get closely linked with people who are are living their lives for a different God than you. Verse 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Don't walk in the darkness, don't walk in partnership with people whose lives are going in an opposite direction from God, but rather walk as children of light, he says in verse 8. Do you see that in the middle? Walk as children of light. And then Paul gives a number of reasons, and this is what this passage really unpacks, is all these reasons why we should walk as children of light. Verse 8 has a fascinating one, it's that you were darkness, but now you're light. Do you see that? For at one time you were darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. That that one fascinates me because he doesn't say, you used to walk in darkness, now walk in light. He says, you used to be darkness. If you're a follower of Christ, you know, just like I do, that my heart oriented toward worshiping and serving myself Loving God's created things rather than God, that's dark. And so there's a sense in which if that was you and you're a follower of Christ, you were darkness. And now as you turn toward Christ, you are light. This is a fundamental identity shift, not just a behavior shift, an identity shift. Your identity is different. You were darkness, now you're light. And so if our identity changes, then our life must follow. So he says, walk in Walk as children of light. Right? There's life circumstances. There's identity things that shift. I remember uh, many years ago now when Molly and I were trying to get pregnant for the first time. And it was taking a while, multiple years. And we were wondering, what's going on with this? How's this going to go? And, and we had, by God's grace, we had Abby. And then a few years later, we had Caitlin, and then we tried again, and for six years, nothing happened, and now I have four kids, so it's odd to think about, we had a hard time getting pregnant when we have four kids, but we were childless, now we have four kids, which means I have to live like it, which means I drive a minivan, <laughs> right, I don't know anybody, I, I just, I just uh, all, all my friends from high school recently posting pictures from our 20th high school reunion. And I don't know that any of them, any of us back then were going, you know what, someday, minivan for me. <laughs> I was actually driving a minivan back then and was trying to get out of driving minivans. But you know what? 
this is my new identity. I was childless, now I have four. And as I rejoice in that, I get a minivan. <laughs> and it's actually a great vehicle. I mean, the doors, the way they slide, it's very smooth. It's an excellent car. My point is, this thing that used to be uh, abhorrent, now as I rejoice in God's grace, as I rejoice in what God's done for me, as I rejoice in how God's given me a new identity as a father of four, I embrace what that identity means. I buy a van. You walk as children of light. You were darkness, now you're light. Second reason Paul gives is that uh, walking as a child of light leads to fruit, fruit that's good and compelling and beautiful. Look at what he says in verse 9. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Here's what he says. If you live a life as a child of light, imitating your beloved God and Father, you will live a life that is right and good and true. The, kids were, uh, or the place where my kids go to school uh, talks all the time about uh, truth, beauty, and goodness. Truth, beauty, and goodness. And I love that because it creates an opportunity for me to talk with my kids about where does truth and beauty and goodness come from? It doesn't come from the Western tradition. It comes from Christ. And when you follow Christ and when you're filled with Christ and when you obey Jesus and when you're living in light of the Spirit, you lovingly self-sacrifice for the good of other people and that is right and good and true. It's a fruitful life. It's a beautiful life. It's a sacrificial life. It's the kind of life that people stand back and go, I don't know how they do that. And you say, I don't either. God is at work in me. That's what it is to walk as a child of the light. It leads to fruit. It also pleases the Lord. Look at verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you're going to walk as a child of the light, then you're going to be thinking, okay, what pleases my heavenly Father? And you're going to live in a way that's seeking to please him. Every now and then, this doesn't happen very often, but every now and then, uh, I'll get home from work, and Molly will be out with the kids at swim practice or running errands or whatever, and I'll be there, and I'll have kind of, and I usually have forgotten that she wasn't going to be there. And so I get home, and the, I just have the house to myself. And uh, it's like, what do I do? This is amazing. Quiet. I can turn on the Xbox, and it won't matter, like. Like I, and, and I do that, and every, every now and then, a couple times a year, I'll be sitting there, usually having already started the game, and I'll be looking at around the house, which looks like four kids live in it, <laughs> and I'll be, and, I'll, and it'll hit me like, you know what, I, I might have enough time to pick all this up before Molly gets home. And again, a <laughs> couple times a year, this is not frequent, Okay. <laughs> Don't, don't be like, wow, my pastor, he's the greatest guy in the world. No, no, every, every a couple times a year, maybe more now that I will have said this and I'll, the Lord will convict me. But I'll start, you know, I'll start working and do whatever I can to kind of clean the house up. And she will walk in the house and see it different than when she left. And it pleases her. Oh, honey, thank you. Oh, that was such a relief. Oh, I was thinking about how this, oh, yeah, I know. thank you. It pleases her, and, and, and that is great. I mean, I, again, I try to not do it to try to get payback, but there is a reality of if I love her, then I think about a couple times a year, what would, 
What would please her? What would help her? And as a child of God, we do the same thing. What pleases your heavenly father? What brings a smile to his face? When you walk as a child of light, you please him. Walking as a child of light also gives courage to expose darkness. Look at what it says in verse 11. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Expose them. Now, I wrestled this week as I was studying that with thinking, well, how does Paul mean for us to expose them? Does Paul mean that we should tell people, hey, what you're doing is wrong, I'm going to expose it? Or is Paul saying that we should actually live in such a way that just kind of the, the light of our behavior shines on them and exposes them? Well, I kind of wanted it to be the second one. Because I don't really like telling people what they're doing is wrong. You might be like, you picked the wrong job. <laughs> but I love that. But, but I can't get away from it. That word expose is almost always used in the New Testament to describe correcting, rebuking, speaking. So Paul's not saying that we should go around to the world of people who aren't Christians and, and confront them and rebuke them. What he's talking about is when we as followers of Christ see other brothers and sisters in Christ living in darkness, we're supposed to rebuke it. We're supposed to say, hey, I, I see that what you're doing here is not in line with who you want to be and in line with what God says, and it needs to stop. That, that's what verse 11 is saying. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Well, here's the problem. If you're walking in darkness too, then you have no courage to confront someone else. And I wonder how many loving, family-needed conversations don't happen because we're ashamed of ourselves walking in darkness too. Next thing that this does is it creates freedom, not hiding. Similar in verse 12, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. In other words, if you're living in the darkness, you're going to have to constantly hide. You're going to have to be constantly ashamed of yourself. You're going to have to constantly not live in the freedom of God. Kerry Newhoff says, compromise eventually leads to cover-up. Compromise eventually leads to cover-up. If you live in the darkness with ever-growing comfort, living as a child of darkness, you will have to hide. You will have to cover up. You will have to be afraid. This is one of the great blessings about preaching. I'll tell you what, these last six weeks have not been easy for me. Because if you've been here the last six weeks, it's like, boom, boom, boom. Paul going, change this. Change that, change that. And I have to get up here and go, change this, change that. And I, I just am not comfortable doing that unless I'm at least really wrestling with what it looks like for me to change it in my life. So the great blessing of preaching for me has been, I gotta work on some stuff if I'm gonna get up here and say anything. And that's hard and that's painful. And I've had many times where I've had to, apologize to the Lord and apologize to other people and where I see that the very thing I just said on Sunday, I didn't live on Monday. I have to work through that. But as we seek to move into the light, there's freedom. 
and there's blessing. And you can admit that you were wrong rather than having to cover up your sin. Here's the last reason Paul gives for why we should walk as children of light is that this fits our resurrection life. We just sang about how we're resurrected with Christ, that if Christ is uh, resurrected from the grave, then so are we. And so in verse 14, Paul says, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, and here he probably quotes from an early Christian hymn, he says this, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Here's what he's saying. You were asleep, you were dead, but because of Christ, you're resurrected. And Christ is shining on you. So walk as a child of light because that's who you are. You're a resurrected person. You're not still asleep. You're not still dead. You're awake. You're alive. Look to Christ. The new creation has dawned, Paul is saying. God is beginning to make all things new. And he's doing it with you. I was just rereading in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe this great scene where all these people that the white witch had frozen, all these creatures and people had been frozen into statues. And when uh, Aslan is resurrected, the statues melt and come back to life. That's what it is to experience the gospel. You come back to life. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4. He said, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In other words, the creation that was, let light come from darkness, let light come from nothing. That's what's happened to you if you're a follower of Christ. You've been made new. You've been invited into God's new recreation story. Jesus walked in the light. And so do we. And that is the beautiful life. We walk in love. We walk as children of light. And third, we walk as wise. We walk as wise. Look what it says in verses 15 and 16. It says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as, wa- not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Now, we haven't talked a lot about this, but actually the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians would have gone out in the same mailbag. Paul wrote them probably around the same time. The same person delivered both letters, and Ephesus and Colossae are actually very nearby towns. And so there's a lot of themes in Ephesus and themes in Colossians that overlap and that are similar. And this is a place where in Colossians, the way Paul says it, is walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Here in Ephesians, he just says walk as wise, making the best use of the time. Colossians, walk with wisdom toward outsiders. So what Paul's saying here is our walk is being noticed by people. People are picking up on how we're walking. They notice whether we're walking in love. They notice whether we're walking in light. They notice whether we're walking in wisdom. They're watching. They're noticing. They're picking up on it. I uh, have told you a lot about my son Hank, who's almost two, his love for all things involving baseball. And it's funny because even though I played baseball, he and I don't talk baseball a lot. We will often turn a game on while dinner is getting ready, and he'll watch. And what I've seen is that his, his ability to watch it and imitate it is higher than how much we've talked about it. And so, for example, I'll show you a picture of Hank. This is Hank the other day hitting off the tee. And you'll notice he found a batting glove, which is his sister's princess glove. 
That's his batting glove. And then the hat, which is also, I think, from some colonial something, he found, and that's his helmet. And he will swing, usually hit the tee, and the ball trickles off, and then he'll take off the glove, and he'll take off the helmet, and he'll run the bases. And, and I was like, at first I was like, why is he wearing that hat? Like, that's, oh, he thinks it's his helmet. Why? Because he's watching. And he'll get down and he'll squat like the catcher. The other day he's hitting the bat. And he's raising his leg. I'm, I've, I haven't said, hey, buddy, make sure you pat, hit, the, hit the ground with your, I don't do that. He's just watching. This is what Paul's saying. The world is watching you. The world is noticing you, and the world is, is seeing, is this a compelling life? Is this a beautiful life? Is this a vibrant life? Is this a life that, that I would want to follow? Not just because it's true, but because it's beautiful. And what Paul is saying here is if you walk in wisdom, if you walk in love, if you walk in light, you will be living a beautiful life that will make the most of the time. Do you see that? In verse 16, making the best use of the time. That word time is often, probably even more appropriately translated, opportunity. He's not saying like you'll really get things done in the day and check stuff off your list if you walk. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you'll make the use of the opportunity you have. What's the opportunity? The opportunity to show your kids, to show your grandkids, to show your neighbors, to show your coworkers, to show the people that you spend time with that Jesus is compellingly beautiful. Walk in wisdom. Have you felt beat up by these last six weeks? Some of you are like, I was on vacation. Thank God. I don't know what I missed. (laughs) Well, here's what you missed. We were told to put off falsehood and put on truth. We were told to put off sinful anger and put on righteous, limited anger. We were told to put off stealing. You're like, well, that was probably easy. Yeah, until you started hearing about all the streaming things you're stealing. Okay, that was convicting. And put on hard work. We were told to put off corrupting talk and to put on encouragement. We were told to put off bitter fury and to put on kind love. We were told to put off sexual greed and filth and put on thanksgiving. All of that came from Ephesians 4.25 to 5.3. Now get this. This is the life that Jesus lived. Jesus was starting, startlingly truthful. Not false. Jesus had righteous but limited anger. Not when he was offended, but when the poor and the vulnerable were. Jesus worked hard, spending 30 years of his life before anyone had ever even heard of him, just working a blue-collar job as a carpenter. Jesus put off corrupting talk. It was convicting, but conviction always designed to build people up, always designed to lead to repentance. Jesus spoke words of life, so much so that his disciples would say, where else can we turn? You alone have the words of life. Jesus put off bitter fury and put on kind love, the kind, as it said in verse 2, that gave himself up for us. And Jesus put off sexual greed and filth. One of the most amazing things to me about Jesus is that Jesus, who is a 30-something-year-old virgin, can be at a party and have a woman of the street massaging his hair, massaging his feet with her hair and anointing him with oil and stay pure. He didn't say, oh, I can't have a relationship. You can't come near me. You're a woman. I, I'm not allowed to talk to women. He didn't do that. 
Not only totally engaged with her, and yet was totally pure. This is why when you read about Jesus, you go, wow, there's no one like this. He's beautiful. He's compelling. This is amazing. Listen, we are his people. And so we walk in the light, and we walk in love, and we walk in wisdom. Not just because it's true, not just because it's right, but because it's good, because it's beautiful, because it shows the world who Christ is. Now listen, we can't ever walk in love and walk in light and walk in wisdom enough to somehow earn favor with God. Jesus has had to do it on our behalf. And he died on the cross in our place and he rose victoriously to pay for our sin. And he invites us into the new life that he wants to live through us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you grant us your spirit so that we could walk in love, so we could walk as children of light, so that we could walk in wisdom, so that a watching world might see how beautiful How marvelous, how worthy of worship and praise and life Jesus is. God, thank you for your spirit that leads us. Thank you for your son's blood that forgives us. We pray that we would walk in the new way of Christ, that we would arise and awake and let Jesus shine his light through us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.